the amount of data that you need to analyze could go into millions of billions of rows depending upon number of transactions welcome to uptech report this is our applied tech series i'm your host alexander ferguson Uptech Report is sponsored by Terraleap. Learn how to leverage the power of customer stories at terraleap.io. Today, I'm excited to be joined by my guest, Ravi Shankar, who's based in Palo Alto, California. He's the Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Denodo. Welcome, Ravi. Good to have you on. Thank you, Alex. It's very good to be here. Now, Denodo is a data integration and data management platform. You guys are focused pretty specifically on enterprise space. So for those who are out there, maybe you're a cloud architect, business leader, a CIO, or data engineer, scientist, this will be a conversation you're going to want to listen to. Help me understand, Ravi, though, very high level. Let's start with what's the, the problem that you guys have set out to solve? The problem is about having a unified view of the information across multiple different systems that are uh, dis- uh, dispersed across uh, different regions, different business units, and so on. So our business u- users are not able to gain a cohesive view of that information to conduct that business. It could be executives, it could be business analysts, data analysts, who are providing this information to the executives to make timely decisions, so they are not able to do that. And quite often, to gain that unified view, these uh, uh, users would go to the IT to request the information, but the IT users age-old methodology, technology, and processes that basically um, hamstrung them in terms of delivering it very quickly. So we have a methodology, a product that will deliver data much more faster to these business users. I'm curious, in our, in our pre-chat before we uh, interviewed, you gave me a nice overview of the history of data. And, and I'd love to actually hear that again, of take me back, maybe all the way back to the 1980s. And what was data like then? And how has it changed over the years? That's right. So this is basically has been a constant battle between centralization and decentralization of data. And I came up with this notion of a data gravity. And the data gravity belongs to where the data at the sources are. So going back to the 80s was the age of the databases like Oracle, IBM that invented the database to keep the data in a central place so business users can actually get that access to the data. That became very popular that the databases started multiplying multiple different ways. And soon the centralization yielded to the decentralization where the data was distributed all over the place. And by the end of the 80s, people were not able to gain that unified view. So in the 90s, the data warehouse came back as a unifying mechanism of pulling the data together from all these disparate databases into one central place. And that was a great technology. And once again, we had a unification of the data. But the benefit of that technology once again yielded multiple different data warehouses, data marts, that uh, the data was once again started becoming decentralized and people were not able to gain a cohesive view. By the millennium, start of the millennium, we started seeing unstructured information. So in terms of like social media information, streaming information, cloud information, and so on. So there was no place to put it. So on came the notion of Hadoop and the big data systems where you can house both the structured and unstructured information. Um, So that way you have a unified place to hold it. So once again, the decentralized data warehouses, data marts, and the unstructured data 
came to be unified in the millennium uh, to be in the in the in the Hadoop system, but and the big data system, data lakes, whatever you call it. But that again did not pan out to be really good because it never became like the unified view. So people started having data warehouses, data lakes, operational data stores, again, a myriad of ones. And in the 2010s, when the cloud on came on board, like with the AWS, Azure, and Google, they started creating these cloud-based repositories or cloud object stores in which you can store the information. So now the data is distributed in the cloud, on-premises in the data warehouse, in the data lakes, it has become a complete mess. So what we are kind of talking about is you need to unify the data, physically moving the data into a central place or collecting the data in a central place is not working because the gravity keeps pulling. It's like throwing a ball up in the air. It is going to come down. So same thing, you're artificially trying to pull all the data physically into a central location. It's not working. Leave the data wherever it is, connect to the data, but gain a unified view through a virtual mechanism or a logical fashion so that way you're not spending the time and cycle and fighting against the gravity. And now going into the, the, the 2020s, that you said that's the 2010s, the data virtualization happened. What's kind of the next phase even then beyond that? Can you, can you speak to the 2020s and beyond? Yeah, so the 2020s is going to be the age of the machines. Um, so for example, take our own household, like in my own household itself, like everything is... Um, from a smartphone perspective, it's automated. I have a Nest thermostat that actually you know, generates all the, the data about and uh, understands the temperature in my home. I have a video camera that actually monitors um, you know, both inside and outside the home. I have a garage door opener, which is you know, automatic. I can open it halfway around the world. I can open or close the garage door. So all these devices are generating so much uh, data. And you take that to an industrial setting. So we have customers where they are creating fab-based machines to generate the, the fabs for the circuit boards. And those generate a lot of data and they want to understand to service those machines. We have heavy machinery customers that are creating these machines for mining and uh, all those aspects. And those devices are sending uh, uh, the data. We have connected card that is coming up. So all these are in the, in the future, data is going to come and you need to be able to analyze that in order to react to something and provide the information faster. For example, a car, automated car that is driving down the road, somebody crosses the road, it uses all the data to quickly determine, I need to stop the car right now, right? So that's where it is going to go. The data is going to be out of control but how do you basically bring that data to a point of unification that you can actually understand from a business perspective and take the action that is needed for whatever business process you're doing? It's the challenge of the, the quantity of data is only, is, is only increasing. And if you really right. want to compete in today's age, you have to be able to use that data, it sounds like, and become a more data-driven organization. So is it really possible to visualize and analyze all this complex data? It, it is possible. The systems are kind of not coming up in order to be able to, um, in order to analyze and provide uh, the, the aspect of it. But the data is, um, the, the, the problem is in delivering the data to the point at which it can be consumed. So if you go back from the 80s till now, 
two things have increased multiple fold and one has not. So you look at uh, the processing power. So back in the 80s, I used to use the IBM XT machines, which had only like 540 uh, you know, megabytes of memory, in fact, right? Today, like the cell phone has a lot more than that. So processing power has increased much more. The storage capacity has increased. Again, like back in those days, we used to use floppy disks, the big floppy disks. So those of who are born after that might not know about those ones. But we used to, that had limited capacity. But now in the, in the iPhone itself, you can go up to you know, four gigabytes. I have a very small thumb drive that can actually hold a terabyte of data. So storage has increased. The stuff that has not increased is the bandwidth. So we are still, we don't have 5G here in America. And right now, even though the new iPhones are 5G capable, they're asking you to turn off the 5G because there is not enough 5G coverage and it's sucking up the battery of your phone. So the bandwidth is not. So this voluminous data from the sources, you need to squeeze it into this narrow pipe and you need to deliver it at the point of consumption where people can analyze it. And that has become the bottleneck. So what we are trying to do is, we are trying to have the capability by reducing the data set at the sources and bringing back the results to at the point of consumption. Let me give you an example. Let's say you are a retailer. You want to analyze which are your most 10 most profitable products uh, in the last year or last, uh, last couple of years. You're asking a question. You're asking your result data set is only like 10, 10 rows of data. Here are my 10 products. Okay. But the amount of data that you need to analyze could go into millions of billions of rows, depending upon the number of transactions. So why do we need to provide to the consumer all these millions of billions of rows of data? Can we run the analysis down at the sources and just bring back the results and deliver the results to the consumer? So that's basically the, 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 what we are trying to do uh, with the data virtualization technology is to reduce the data set at the sources and provide just the results which can be transported much faster to a thin pipe. Ravi, some of our, our viewers of this may, may be very technical. So let's, let's take it even a step further then, if we can. Okay. Um, you say at the source. So are we talking at like the cash register? I mean, w- what point when you say the source and, it, and how is that implemented? Sure. So for example, if you use a cash register, you're scanning your items and that actually records the transaction at the same time, it is detecting from the, from the inventory systems. So you have two systems. You have the inventory systems and you have your point of sale system, right? So you want to get a unified view across that information and you're analyzing the, the most profitable products. So rather than if you take the point of sale system, that can contain millions or billions of rows of data depending upon the transactions that are happening on a daily basis. And similarly, the, the inventory system might not have that many, but you know that also has... So we would actually reduce, run, this, run the, uh, the, the queries down at these sources, ask them, give me the, the 10 most, rank it by the, by the, the sale, amount of sale and the, the inventory available, something like that. And then we would bring back just the result to an analyst who is trying to understand that, uh, the answer to that question. Gotcha. And, and is this data that, that you're, you're accessing for point of sale or inventory is probably already on the cloud. So are you just like integrating with these different cloud warehouses of data and then doing this analyzation and then providing just the results back to the end uh, client? 
It could be in the cloud, it could be in the data center, it really doesn't matter. For the, if you think about it, for the person who is analyzing the data, they don't need to worry about the location of the data. They don't need to worry about the format of the data, whether it's structured or unstructured. They don't need to understand the latency of the data, whether it is a streaming data that is coming in or data at rest, which is in a database. You abstract those out. I just need the data that I need for this particular question and let the technology figure it out. So the technology has to be location agnostic, format agnostic, and the latency agnostic. So that way it figures out where the data is, what format it is, and provides it in a way that the consumer needs. If, if I'm imagining myself as, as, um, as a business leader who's wanting to get this data, or maybe there's a, a, a data architect is trying to figure out, I, I want this, I want to figure this out, but I don't need to go to all the sources and look through those millions of data points. And they come to you and they're like, get me this data. I mean, is this, is this a simple request that they're entering and then the system just executes it? How much of it is it automated truly versus has to, has to really create a unique process for each time a request is made? No, it is, it is automated. So think about it like in a water, right? You and I turn on the tap, faucet, and then we collect the water and we drink it. But there is somebody who has already laid the pipe, somebody who is actually uh, you know, treating the water to, so that it is, it is portable, that we can drink it. So that work has already been done. So we have the IT teams that are actually setting up the views and the systems and you know, within, within the data virtualization layer, that allows a consumer when they kind of go and say, I want the data from Dinodo, Dinodo just gives the data. It's like opening the, the, the tap and getting the water. That's, that's, it's the equivalent of that. It, 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 uh, I, I like the illustration because it, it, people want to be able to get the, 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 the content they want right away. Um, and that's what you're just simply turning on the tap for that. Is, is it um, that, rec- that process of laying the pipes? I mean, what does that process look like if someone says, yes, we need to get you connected to all these different data sources for, that you can start to virtualize it. Is it, a lot, is it a long effort? I mean, months of work or what does that look like? No, it's, it's a pretty fast effort. So it is like connecting to data, data repositories and then you know, collecting the data that is actually needed. And again, like right now, we consume the, the water. Do we know which reservoir it's coming from? We don't, right? So we, and we don't care as long as, the data, as long as the water is portable for us. Same thing from a consumer perspective, they actually dedicate it to the IT. The IT takes a few days or weeks to basically tell like, you know, which systems they're connecting to, what data needs to be pulled in. And once the business user runs a chart or a report, that actually informs the system. The system automatically knows, okay, I need to go to the cloud to gain the data, or I need to go to this data center to get this data, and then it will bring it back and give it to the data user in real. How is, how is data virtualization different than other approaches to data integration within an enterprise? Sure. There is one key difference. Um, all other approaches, so there are about like seven different styles of data integration. The most dominant one is called the ETL or the extract, transform, and load. Then there are other things like ESB, data replication, and so on. All these rely on the physicalization, the, the centralization of the data. So they replicate the data for them to work. Remember, the problem is the data is distributed. You need a unified way of getting the data. So they bring the data physically into another repository, whether it is a data warehouse, data lake, 
uh, an operational data store, another database, they try to replicate the data. Replication is bad. The moment you replicate the data, it, one, it gets out of sync because the data in the source is continuously authored, cache registered, you're, you're continuing to scan the items. The second thing is um, the data quality degrades over a period of time. The data virtualization approach, the difference is it does so without replicating the data. It connects to the systems wherever they are, and it understands which data is in what system and what format it is. When you come and ask the data virtualization system, I need the data to understand my most profitable products. It knows which systems to connect to wherever they are in whatever format and unify that in the format that you want to consume and give it in real time. So by avoiding replication, it saves on the cost of storage, saves on the time, and it saves on the effort. It's like doesn't take too much effort to actually uh, virtually transmit the data. Those who you are working with, enterprise, um, are are most of them already have something in place, and now they're just trying to upgrade it, or are there newer enterprises that don't even have anything in place? I'm curious. Like, what's the what are you seeing as the the status quo? Sure. Data integration technologies have been around for the last 20, 30 years. So there is nothing new. So all these companies do have um, multiple data integration technologies. They might have ETL, they might have ESB, and so on. But they are kind of thinking the age-old process way of how they have been doing things for the last 20, 30 years. If a business user comes and asks, they're going to use these existing technologies to physically replicate the data. They're not thinking, I'm going to use a much more efficient technology, efficient process like a data virtualization or a data fabric, we talk about that, in order to provide the data very quickly. So they don't understand that I have to use these modern methods. So that's where things break down and that's where we are in the education process of educating our users. You might have these technologies, which is fine. You still use it for whatever you're using. They might be using the data to move to a data warehouse, but to gain the unification of the data across your data warehouse, your data lake, the cloud system, your other ERP systems, dedicated to data virtualization. Keep the data wherever they are, connect to them virtually, and provide that integrated view to your business user, to your executives, who can analyze the data and take timely decisions. That's basically what we are uh, preaching to the team, uh, to the world out there. Can you give me another um, example? I appreciate the, the retail example. Can you give me another one of a different industry in particular where <laughs> the pros and cons of if they weren't using it and if they are, how does it play out differently? Sure. I can give it to you as an example from one of my customers. We recently did uh, a, a ROI study. So we, um, we, we chartered Forrester Research, one of the analyst companies, to go talk to a few of our customers to, to find out you know, how the challenges they faced and how they used the data virtualization technology. There's one key information that actually came out of that, which is what I will relay right now. So the business user came and said, and I, I, I need this particular answer to this particular question, and I need the data related to that. So the, the IT team had to go work on in unifying the data from multiple systems to, to provide the data to the analyst so that they can get the answer to the data. And it took them a month and a half to do it because 
one, they were using these age-old processes and technologies that did not make them very agile in terms of being able to deliver the data. And so as a result, they were basically a hamstrung or bottleneck in terms of being able to provide the data in a timely fashion. Think about it, in a month and a half, the data analyst has moved on. That question is not relevant anymore. That was the eye-opener for them. How do I get the data within a week or less than that to the customer so that their customer, which is the business user, so that way the answer is relevant. So that's basically what we are talking about here, that the data virtualization provides the data instantaneously and it makes the people more efficient so that way they have to use less resources and less time and the time to insight or time to data for the business user is greatly enhanced. What's an enterprise uh, to you? I'm just curious of uh, like those who are best can utilize what you're doing. Like what, if you were to give some sort of a definition, um, what, what do they look like? Sure. It is anyone who has trouble getting to the unified data in a timely fashion. Most of these tend to be large businesses. That's where we have focused on companies over a billion dollars in revenue so far. And they tend to have global operations. Um, if you take Dinodo itself, like we are a mid-sized company, but we are present in about um, 18, 19 different countries already. So you take like the JP Morgans of the world, the Boeings of the world, uh, you know, all these companies have very complex operations and they need these separate systems in order to make their businesses function and the challenge is getting that unified view. So we, an enterprise for me is anything that has the challenge of bringing the data together. Now, we are also starting to see that in the mid, mid and uh, in the lower end of the market as well, they might not have the volume and the complexity of the business of a large uh, enterprise, but nevertheless, they need the data as well. Simple use case could be migrating to the cloud. They want to use cloud services because they don't have a data center to run their operations. They don't have the IT staff. So even there, they would have multiple, think about it, Salesforce could be one application. You could be using Workday as another application. The proliferation is there still nevertheless. So we are trying to provide a unified view across there as well. Gotcha, gotcha. Uh, I'm curious also on 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 your journey. I mean, you have you been, always been in in the data enterprise space? Uh, mostly, yes. I come from uh, both a development as well as a business background. Um, so I have a master's in computer science, and I was a developer the first uh, in a ten years of my life, and uh, did my MBA, and then I moved on to the business world. So um, I have done the technology side uh, from the data integration perspective, and uh, also you know in the uh, going into like master data management and the data virtualization. Now, uh, I would say for the last good twenty to twenty five years, I've been in the data space, but in the technology space for the last thirty plus years. Gotcha. Because I think you were you were at Oracle for for a while. Is that right? I was there at, for more than ten years at Oracle. It was a great journey. Uh, so that's where I made the transition from being a developer to a marketing uh, person. So, how would you describe that journey? Anyone, anyone who's maybe on on the more technical side and that transition to the business side, uh, what's your uh, experience been like? It has been great. I really, I really loved it. And what uh, makes me a better on the business side is my 
underpinnings in the technology side because I can understand the technology to the level of depth it is. So when my, uh, right now my product managers come and tell me how the product basically works, I can understand it. Uh, but the skill that you need from a business side, from a product marketing side is to be able to articulate the value of it. Because ultimately the customer does not buy a technology, they buy a solution. They, you need to be able to, see, if I tell them data virtualization, the first question is, so what? Why would I use it? So to be able to articulate it in a, in a value terms that they would understand is the skill that is required on the business side. So, um, so that journey has actually enabled me to be very successful on the business side. Of it. I, um, I find it interesting when I, when I, when I dig into topics around um, big data and data with enterprises. I cover a lot of topics here on the series. Um, I mean, sometimes when I get to, to this topic, I'm like, ah, can I... Can you really be excited about this every day? Now, when you dig into it and you start to talk about the implications of it and and the examples, then I start to get. I'm like, all right, I, I can see now where it where it touches. But I mean, do you do you still get excited about about this every day? Definitely, Alex. You know, I, I tell that for every solution that we create in and of itself, it creates its own set of problems, right? You think about the story that I related. The database was a great way to house data which was all in spindles and cards, if you remember, you know, back before the databases, that was a great solution, but it created the problem of having multiple databases. Then we brought in the data warehouse. That was a great solution. It created its own problem in terms of multiple data warehouses and can house only structured data, but not unstructured data. Then we brought in the data lakes that had its own set of problems. So it is, it is you can get excited on a daily basis because there is so much of movement that is happening on the technology side. There's only so fast, like the business and the business users can go. Look at, look at where, where we are from the pandemic perspective, right? From a testing perspective, we have problems. From a, a treatment perspective, we have problems. You know, all these require moving the ability to move faster, but we are a digitally connected economy. For us, we just cannot make things and deliver it fast. We still need the technology to be able to track this and, and deliver it and so on. It's not moving much faster. So that's why you get up every day and you see these new problems and you say, I can solve this one. I have the means to do it. Or I'm going to find the ways to do it. So yes, I think there wouldn't be any, any restriction in how long you can go to solve these problems. And, uh, and I think uh, we, we have great technologies and solutions and we can solve very many problems of one of the when i look at some of the, the problems of the, the concept that come up of from the consumer side because i always try to process this like how does this play down to the consumer in what's happening in the enterprise space and one is when you talk about data is also privacy like how is the data managed how is it tracked and people want to know what are you doing with my data, I mean, do you play in any of that space with consumer data and how is that looked at and protected, especially with this focus on recently? Definitely. So we have customers who are using our technology for GDPR, um, which is the uh, Global Data Protection Regulation Act. Within California itself, we have a segment of that called like the CCPA, the California Consumer Protection Act. And there are similar ones in Canada and other regions. So they use our technology to actually provide um, that, that information. So in, in a lot of these cases, what happens is, like if you look at a regulation, they would say, I as a consumer, 
want to tell you, you need to tell me back, uh, ask you like, where all is my data held? And you, you should be able to identify. If your data is distributed across multiple different systems, it's very difficult to answer that question. So they use our technology to get a good view of where all like Alex uh, is actually present in the systems and tell, yeah, these are the different systems. And when you say, I want my name removed completely, they can remove it. Or you can say, okay, you can remove me from your marketing materials, but anything that is important to account changes, let's say my account has been hacked, I want to hear about that. So they should be able to do that. So we do provide that ability to be able to uh, support such uh, privacy regulations across our customers. How much of when, when it comes to just kind of general looking here of how you see people using this data is the insights that are coming out of it generated, I say automatically, meaning like you're providing, I say you, whether it's you or they actually have something on top of it once they have this information that's been provided that, hey, this is a recommendation. Are we, are we at that point that insights are able to be generated automatically or is it still coming back to a human and then they take the data and then they have to actually work with it to come back with insights and, and uh, realities from it? No, it is getting there with AI and uh, machine language. It is actually providing the recommendations. So the humans can actually, um, you know, if you ask somebody to draw a picture of an alien, they will still draw it with a head, with two googly eyes and that kind of stuff. We can't imagine anything beyond that, right? So we can understand only things in the way we know the way it is. So, but for a system that's analyzing on a basis of you know, millions of billions of rows of data, it can come up with recommendations. So that's what we also do. We actually provide recommendations to our users. Hey, this is a particular way you can set up the data so you can understand, get better results. Or Bob here is actually using a particular way of analyzing the data, which might be of interest in large organizations that can get lost. Um, I have heard my customer, uh, you know, uh, a pharmaceutical company, they say that we have cure for the cancer, but it is lost somewhere in the data. So you can only understand with plethora of data what you can. So, but if the system can recommend, that's where it is moving in, in, in the future to be able to provide that intelligence and recommendations, which humans cannot process in their limited capacity. What popped in my head right now, I don't know if this is a perfect analogy, but of removing the human where you're just going to let the, the data that comes in and then letting an AI make the decisions is, is uh, Zillow, I think it was, with their home buying debacle that happened recently where they ended up buying, spending all this money and buying all these homes. It turned out like they were, it, it was not good. I mean, can you speak to that experience and like how, how did that happen and, and how can an enterprise not make that happen? Sure. Uh, you know, Artificial intelligence is not something that it thinks by itself. Like we basically program us, basically program it to, to the way it can, right? And it is important, just like in any software where there are you know, bugs, you roll out a software, think some things don't work because you haven't anticipated all the edge cases. You have, you have you know, programmed it to a, to a way to kind of function the way it is, but there are a lot of edge cases that you haven't considered. So that's where, you know, in an artificial world, um, in terms of its learning capability and so on, you need to have the proper way. Still, programming technology is not so much of a science. It's still an art in which it depends upon the person who actually builds it, right? So all these things basically depend upon that, and things can go wrong if people 
are not um, programming it correctly, not testing it correctly, these things can can happen. And they need to take the time to, to roll it out and make sure it is all proper before they can actually deliver it. And they cannot go beyond what the capacity of the human is in terms of being able to program and roll it out. We can restrict it, we can, we can do it. It's not going to run away. If, if, if something goes wrong, it's not technology's fault. It's like the humans, how they kind of you know, approached it and rolled it out. So it has to be controlled by the humans. It's not going to go away where uh, in this case, you know, the, the, the company might not have properly tested the systems before they rolled it out. I want to end here, Ravi, of, of kind of looking ahead of for maybe those who are new or getting into being like a cloud architect or, or a data engineer, and, and they're wondering, okay, where is this space going to go? What should they be thinking about? If you just look ahead, like let's say five years from now, 10 years, actually, 10 years from now, we're going to be in the, wow, yeah, the 2030s, <laughs> the, the next next decade. I mean, you've given us a nice history of where we've come from. And you've given us where we are right now, which is interesting of, of the amount of data that's coming in. Can you just share any of your own uh, insights of predictions um, of where, what should we be thinking of where we're heading next? Okay, all right. I will, I'll be bold enough to, to say that, but it might not be true. But I will, I will base it on what, you have to look at the fundamental paradigms of what it is. The speed to information is getting narrower and narrower. In the past, when I was working at Oracle, I used to do analysis of the data. And to me, like what we are in January, and the data would be loaded only on a monthly basis. So I can only analyze up to December data. So if I have want to analyze the January data, I have to wait till February. We cannot wait so long nowadays. Things need to move much faster, right? We are looking in the phone, looking for... Um, you know, the emails, you know, it's not like a nine to five anymore. You're kind of constantly checking the emails and so on. So the time to information is going to come narrower and narrower. So there is going to be so many things, everything is going to be compressed. So in terms of like the the, the, the travel, uh, we need faster flights that can get us from here to New York, not in like five, six hours, but maybe in a couple of hours to be able to get us there. So that is going to probably compress. The time in, at which we have to uh, you know, get the information that we need, uh, we call for a service, it gets enabled immediately. You don't have to wait for like three or four days for the technician to come turn it on. It'll be automatic. So that is going to get compressed from a timing perspective. So that way the technologies will enable such, such capabilities. And uh, so all of us will kind of move in a model where things are consumed very rapidly um, whatever it is, whether it's travel, whether it's procuring things, like Amazon can deliver things within the same day or in the next day. So that's the difference. So that's basically what is going to be happening in the next few years. And you can extrapolate it to anything that you want as a consumer and things are going to be pretty instant and you need to uh, get up to that ability. So one, as an entrepreneur, you need to be able to deliver such a capability and two, from a consumer perspective, you need to be prepared to be able to consume it at that but, uh, at level of speed. And education also is going to go in the same way. You know, we are because the things um, that you have to, like for example, a physician, they have to be both certified every ten years. The la- between the ten years of the exam that they write, the, the books basically double in size um, because the diseases have increased so much. They need to know so much of knowledge. 
So all this is going to, the information volume is going to increase, the velocity is increased, the variety is going to be increased, and we need to be able to adapt ourselves to be able to process that all and deliver it in a much more faster fashion. Ravi, thank you so much for, for sharing uh, your insights, what you're doing at Donato, and also the history and the future when it comes to data and data management. This is awesome. I enjoyed the discussion, Alex. Thank you very much. And we'll see you all on the next episode of Uptech Report. Have you seen a company using AI, machine learning, or other technology to transform the way we live, work, and do business? Go to uptechreport.com and let us know. Mm-hmm.